The following opinions expressed within the content are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of Child Free Media Limited or its affiliates. Hey! Hi, I'm Kristen Tetsi, author of The Age of the Child. Hi, I'm Isabel, founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark. Hi, I'm Lenora. I'm the creator of The Bitchy Bookkeeper, and we are the founding non-mothers of Child for Girls. Today, our guest is Dan Alexander. Dan is a child-free man, so we're excited to have you on the show. He is also the author of Planned Unparenthood, Creating a Life Without Procreating. So, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That saves Isabel some time (laughs) in editing. So, let's start off, Dan, with... this journey of writing a book about, I mean, first of all, being a child-free man, we don't get your perspective too often. So uh, tell us about your journey and also your the reasons for writing a book about this. The journey is, I had always sort of felt from a young age, oh, it's an honor to be with you all. I'm jumping ahead here. Um, the journey kind of, I'd say it began early without really realizing it because I had always known or felt from the time I was quite young that I was never going to have kids. It was just kind of always there in the back of my mind. Say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Or Because I even with my friends, and I had a lot of friends growing up, but I still preferred the peace and quiet overall compared to craziness and noise in, in large groups anyway. So it always was kind of there in the back of my mind. Um, as far as the book goes... I had been trying to come up with something that was workable for a long time to for, to first publish, or to publish, and it happened on a, a day after Christmas. It, it hit me in the middle of a big family gathering with lots of kids running around and noise and craziness. I had loaded up on coffee because somebody got a Keurig machine when they first came out, and I was just my head was spinning. And then it hit me, like it hit me out of nowhere. Oh, I can do a book about this. And I remember running in and telling my wife, I'm going to write a book about this. And her response at the time, I think, was something like, oh, okay. I don't know if she believed it or not. And then I just went back out to to where it was quieter in the house in the middle of all this gathering. And a short few weeks later, I found myself outlining it and talking to a colleague of mine in British Columbia who has written some best-selling books, and I just kind of went from there. I started, I had an outline within a week, and then I took the better part of a year to write it. And I wrote the book while I was still living in northern Ontario. I'm based uh, just outside of Halifax now, Halifax, Nova Scotia. So it's it's been quite a journey. It took nearly a year to complete and edit, and then I ultimately decided to run it myself and publish it under my own label. I had a lot of agents take a look at it, but a lot of them, told me that they were afraid to run with it because it was too controversial a topic. Oh. That's weird. You would think they would go for something controversial so that they could get, you know, buzz. That's what I thought. I thought as well. I initially thought, okay, this is an original enough idea that somebody would want to run with this. But the dozens of um, people I had approached just didn't, they weren't that keen. A lot of them would say, this is a, this is a great idea. This is wonderful. This is it's unique. It's different. Um, but they ultimately, those people, 
even those people were like, but I can't bring this to a publisher because I don't, I don't think it'll sell. Ultimately, I think it came down to whether it was saleability. Yeah. But, and, but all, I had over time realized, well, that's not going to be the goal of this to begin with. I didn't, I didn't set out trying to make this a bestseller. The goal was to just get it out there and get it done. Not, just to, not only to say, okay, I finally got something done in, in my career, um, finally published, but here's an important story to tell. And it wasn't really until it was completed that I realized it was the first book to be written from a male perspective about not having kids. I mean, there's lots of studies and essays and, and so forth out there, personal blog posts. But this really is, as it turns out, the first comprehensive look at the choice from a male perspective. Are there any now? I mean, it's been it's been several years since your since yours came out. Have you have you found whether there are any books now by men about child free men? Because I haven't seen any. I haven't. I'm not aware of any. And in, you know, it's 2019, and the first published uh, for this was first you know published in the fall of, two, of uh, 2012. And I'm not aware of any. If there are some, then I'm clearly out of the loop on the news front. And I'm so busy with my own stuff that I. I'm still trying to read books that I bought a year and a half, two years ago that aren't related to that subject. So I, as far as I know, unless someone else can point it out to me, this is still the first one out. This is the only one out there. Sorry. But again, I could be wrong. What would you, so, people, so for people who either haven't heard of your book or who haven't um, bought it yet, probably especially child-free men who think that nobody's talking about child-free men, that it's all about women. What do you cover in your book, and what will they get from it? And what was your what was your goal in writing it? What what was important about it to you? It's what was important was to tell the story to say it's okay to make that choice, and it's okay for men to talk about it. That was the initial start to finish was going to be this. Here's this is a choice. Let's respect it. Let's talk about it. But as I got to outline more, I started crossing over into other topics that may be of interest and that some men and women may want to talk about about. Um, crossing over into adoption, and especially I wanted to touch on childlessness, people who can't have kids by choice because I had friends who could not have kids, some who've since adopted. But I wanted to gradually break into other areas just to make it not just a one-sided um, tale or testament of, hey, here's a decision, and make it all about, all, all about this. But there's other things that we can talk about. So I did branch into some other areas. And the difference, for instance, the difference between child-free and childless. I mean, we've all see, now seen multiple posts about this out there and probably written a few ourselves. But I go into things about like, the cost of raising kids and why that might be a turnoff uh, for guys as well. And have any guys thought about that? I'm sure a lot of everybody's thought about that, men and women both. But the, and yet I wanted to touch on adoption especially because as an option. For childless people who might who can't have kids, I wanted to touch on that a bit from a personal perspective, knowing people who have been through it, and, and also the notion that um, somehow there, there's this there's still, as we all know, this horrendously bigoted attitude that an LGBTQ family can't be proper parents, and I wanted to cross over and touch on that because that's something that hit hit me a little hard. I, I was deeply offended at that old notion and of course it unfortunately it's still out there it's still being preached and i wanted to touch on that a little bit that it doesn't matter you know people can be good parents and you know even if they're straight yeah <laughs> i wanted to touch on that because it really really bothered me that people were in this day and age suggesting that that was somehow 
uh, a possible that that was somehow a problem because I, I I've met people who have adopted and who's um, one couple who did conceive and and have a child and now those kids, crazy to think those kids are now in their teens but uh, their their moms are wonderful people and I wanted to sort of speak for them a little bit I didn't make make it preachy I wanted to touch on that about adoption being an option for those who cannot have kids. Have many other child-free men reached out to you after you wrote the book? Not too many. There were a couple that did through Twitter and uh, Facebook back when I was still on it. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I really like what you're saying. But mo majority, I'd say 75 to 80% of the audience I've heard from have all been uh, women, uh, women who said thank you for telling the story and this is how my husband or my partner feels and this is how my boyfriend feels and you know I, i'm showing this to him to say hey you're not alone it's okay it's okay to have this discussion because i mean that's really interesting um the societal pressure on women is as you know extremely high because we are born with a with a uterus and they people expect us to use it basically but for men right. my perception has always been uh you know, men can do whatever. They don't feel that pressure. So what do you think about that? I think the percentage of, I think the pressure, unfortunately, is, is still going to be on women. I'd say that pressure is like 99% to one, women to men. And I think that pressure is always going to be there until more education gets, until more people get educated about the choice. I mean, we're seeing it. I, I had hoped to see more uh, increased awareness in the last, you know, several years since this book has come out. But I think, I think there's improvements, but it's not at the pace that I hoped it would be. I wanted to contribute to that conversation. And I still, you know, I hope that maybe in another 10 years, we will see more people talking about that. And then that balance could come down where, you know, it's not women that are constantly feeling that pressure, but it's, it's still very constant. I get, even from colleagues, I'll hear about it at least once a month, even now. Oh, they're telling me why, you know, okay, I'm getting married soon or, Well, I've been, why aren't you having kids? And they have to have the same discussion at every family gathering come Christmas or Thanksgiving. It, it's the same discussion. They say, when are you going to have kids? That always, that, that question goes to women. It rarely, if ever, goes to men. And unfortunately, I don't see it changing anytime soon to a, to a level that I had hoped it would in 2019. Now, you mentioned that you're married. Um, how... Obviously, you had that discussion with your wife before you guys got married about not having children. Just curious, in a social setting, um, does that conversation ever come up with the two of you? And people ask you, you know, do you have kids? When are you having kids? You said the conversation usually goes to the women, which is true. But I was just wondering if there's an example of you both as a couple addressing that as a couple in a social situation. Uh, the la it's been a long time since that's come up for, for both of us in a social situation. And more often than not, I tend to be very swift with my reaction. Be like, nope, 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 nope. And then there'll be this long, I'll be trailing off while the conversation is still happening. I'll slowly been walking away. I'll be like, nope, 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 nope. And my spouse is diplomatically carrying on that conversation, speaking for both of us, because she can, in, that, in those instances, to be fair, I think she speaks much more articulately than I do, because then I just go into author, writer, mode and like, no, 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 oh God, what am I going to ask? But it's happened multiple times. It hasn't happened in quite some time. I can't really recall um, a clear enough example, like as far as, look, as far as when and where, 
because most of the time, as I just explained, that's sort of what happens. I do my whole trailing off while I'm saying no, and then you know, I'm still 50 feet down the other side of the room saying no. But it, I think now, especially it's that it's, you know, it's been years since the books come out and I'm trying to educate and be a bit more patient with people. And I, it, I can address and say, no, we've never, that's never been our intention, which is true. It's just never been our intention. We had discussions about, about this even shortly after, you know, we met. We had always both known it was never going to, we were never going to, it was just not something that was in the cards for us. When you met, um, was it as, like, did it start out immediately romantically? And by that, I just mean like some sort of dating situation or did you start out as friends? And so it was a lot easier and there was a lot less pressure and you just naturally talked about not wanting kids or like, how did you come to find somebody else who didn't want kids? Because a lot of people have a hard time with that. Yeah, we met, um, we met um, when I was living um, in Calgary, Alberta years ago. And I was, that was in 2002. And we had, had connected through an online uh, website and her and her friend were moving out to Calgary and we connected and just had these really long, deep conversations. So I'm certain it was the first conversation we probably ever had on the phone. Pretty certain it was. Um, so we ended up talking for four or five hours that first night we spoke. So I'm certain it must have come up because I was fairly open about it and, and very, you know, proud of it. I mean, you know, I was in my early twenties at the time and very, you know, I don't want to say militant, but that's the closest I can describe to it. You're like, oh, I'm not having kids, by the way. You know, kind of putting the guard up right away almost. But she helped, we, we were always on the same page about that. And the day we met, um, we met that June 1st and had been, uh, June 1st, 2002, we've been together ever since. And that it just was always there. We'd always had the discussions. So it was never an issue. It was never going to be a maybe or what if. Did you find that, you know, dating before that was, was difficult because most women think they want to have children. So, I mean, you're being so straightforward with that. Sure. Yeah. It's, it, it was a bit challenging in a sense, but I, I never felt uncomfortable about approaching it, about, about approaching the subject. It always would come up. Yeah. I would always maybe find a way to bring it up. Um, I had, I, prior to meeting my spouse, I had been in, I had just come out of a long-term relationship that was just over a year prior to that. And, and then I met my spouse a couple months later, a few months later. <laughs> this is her office too. So, but, but in between, it, it was not really, I was very upfront about it. And cause to me, it's a deal, to me, it was a deal breaker from as, for as long as I've been, you know, as long as I've uh, been t- um, old enough to recognize it, it would have, I knew it was always going to be a deal breaker. And this is a question that child-free people hate being asked, but I I like to ask it anyway because I'm curious. Well, maybe not why didn't you want kids, but and it sounds like it sounds like you were what they call an early articulator, so you knew from the time when you were a kid. And I don't know if it was uh, I read about your um, how you were treated in school, so I don't know if the teasing about your your calic was a was when you decided that I don't ever want to put someone through this or I don't like yeah. this experience. Was that, that, that was, that was certainly one of the contributing factors. And I appreciate you touching on that. The, the, um, school atmosphere where I went, to, I went to school on a rural school off the highway, um, both elementary and high school. They were next one was down the hill from the other. 
and I was tormented and bullied quite, you know, ruthlessly up to seventh or eighth, uh, sorry, eighth grade. And I've been in the ninth, I'd say, before, you know, I guess a lot of people started to finally grow up. And that was definitely part of it from a young age. It was like, you know, what my parents had to go through in, in defending me or dealing with the school or having to, you know, come to my aid. And I mean, I had friends, thankfully, who helped me through a lot of it as well. But I thought, my God, how can you put a kid through this? Like, I, I, I would not want to be in that position. But there, there were other factors as well, too. My, my parents lost their firstborn born child. And that was sort of always there in the back of my head, but it was never the front, the front, you know, it was never the front reason why. It was something my dad touched on, though, um, before I, you know, I hadn't given thought to it to many years. And it's something my dad touched on one night, kind of out of nowhere, saying, is it because, you know, your sister only lived to be four days? And I was like, well, no, but, you know, I didn't really think about it much, but now that you mention it, yeah, that's another good reason. Hmm. So... There, there were, those were just two of many things. There were many reasons I thought, well, and of course, cost. I thought, my God, the cost. You know, I think of, I can, you know, think of what my uh, parents spent on, on having to raise us between stuff, between the stuff we were interested in, the sports and things we were interested in, and then the other things we weren't interested in that they were paying for, of course. And I thought that just adds up over the years. And I'd gone into some research through Statistics Canada looking excuse me, looking at some certain things as to what, you know, what cost, the cost of raising kids might be, the cost of daycare and so forth. And, and I just, I, it just, you know, in a way it horrified me, the idea that, okay, there's this responsibility. And I just didn't think it was something I wanted to have to deal with. But the bullying, and again, to come back to that, I, I know what parents have gone through. I know what my parents have gone through. And we've now all read, all of, we've now read, uh, some you know horrific stories about you know parents who've lost kids to lost their kids to suicide because of bullying, cyberbullying. Now, thanks to social media, of course, has made it more uh, has given bullies a stronger platform to take action outside of you know where they might get you know outside of authority, I guess, in a lot of ways, without getting police involved because it's sort of it's really really hard to you know if kids are having to deal with fake uh, accounts uh, coming at them and so forth. So, I mean, to me, it's magnified tenfold in the last, since I was younger. Mm. I wrote something while back about how uh, nobody really cares whether men want children. And that's part of the reason I think we don't hear much about child-free men is because what you want is kind of considered irrelevant, largely. I mean, yeah. it's all about whether women want children. And I, I understand to some degree that makes sense because we have the uterus and we have to carry it and we are primarily responsible for most of the work, even after it's born, even if you have a really good partnership, somehow a lot of it falls on the woman. And yeah. I, I blame women partly for that because they, they allow themselves to take it on. Um, but there's also the people I interviewed for this piece said that there's just kind of a disregard for what men want when it comes to family. And I think there is a, a huge double standard when it comes to that. Like you'll hear about women, not all the time, but there will be cases where a woman maybe says she can't have kids or isn't interested in kids. And then we find out later, oops, she actually was. And she kind of tricked him into having a baby. And so now some guy who didn't want to be a father is suddenly a father because the woman decided she wanted a kid. And so I just wondered, because we seem to, to almost think it's, it just doesn't matter if a guy gets tricked into fatherhood 
the way it matters if a woman gets trained to, like if you hear about a guy poking a hole in a condom, women are horrified. If you hear about a woman, oopsie, not taking the pill anymore, it's like, oh, you know, I mean, it's just not what men want isn't taken all that seriously and how they feel about not being a father versus being a father, I don't think is given as much weight as it is when it comes to women being or not being mothers. I just wondered, I guess my question is A, how you feel about that and B, what you would say to men who don't want to be child, who, who don't want to be parents and what they should do ideally to ensure that they are not parents, <laughs> that they don't become parents. It's a good question. I've, I've got some mixed feelings about that in, in the sense that I, I do think that it's, I still, I don't know, I always see it as it's still a joint responsibility no matter what. And I mean, it can take one person to set up the trick, but it takes two to fall for it in, a lot, in, a lot, in, in some respects. And people just need to be, I think people need to just be more responsible. But if person need person has to be up front and then take, take the necessary precautions, whether or woman, they have, have to take the precautions and just be responsible. You know, it seems like in a relationship, a lot of people, and maybe not in a relationship where you, where you really, really know the person, but it seems like one partner will rely on the other partner. It almost seems like a, like a gender thing. Like uh, men will rely on women to be taking birth control. You know, it's like, well, it's, it's your thing. You're the one who can get pregnant. So if you're taking the pill, we're good. But I don't know that that's the wisest route to take. No, I, I can agree with you. I, I can agree with you there. I still think that the majority of that responsibility is put on women. Um, but, and, and men tend to, in, in, from the people I've spoken to, men tend to just go with the flow. They tend to just put a lot of, and, and of course it can cost, it can cost both, both people significantly that they tend to just go with the flow. Whatever's going to make, you know, women happy, they tend to just go with the flow. I've experienced that a lot in people I've spoken with. And I still, I think more men, more men especially do need to take some responsibility and be, be more proactive and responsible. And if that is, they want, they want to make sure they don't have kids, they really need to do everything, everything they possibly can. And no matter what the, no matter what it takes, they need to do more to minimize the risk because I, you know, the pressure still is mostly on women. I, I do think men need to take more responsibility as far as precautionary um, go. It's not like you can't just always be, you know, going with the flow. If you're that, if it's that much of a concern for you, take the necessary steps, and even if it means resulting in zero intimacy. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want kids, you have to be the one making sure you don't have them, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. See, Kristen, this is where the abstinence thing is. We I brought up like a few episodes ago. <laughs> if it's necessary, I mean, I was married to someone who didn't want to use a condom at one point previously, and so I was like, okay, we're not having sex then, and that was very upsetting to him. But it's hey, I do not want kids, and that means no. <laughs> Uh, it's a deal. A deal breaker is a deal breaker. Yeah. So I mean, there's no, there's, there shouldn't be a compromise. Like if something, if there's something you're that passionate about and you're determined, this is not the life path I want to choose. Then you take those precautions at all costs. 
This is where I agree with mentioning that you don't want kids up front before you even get into a dating relationship. I was having, I did a live stream earlier and someone brought up saying that they they feel uncomfortable bringing it up so early in, you know, maybe first date, second date or potential before the date even happens. And I was like, well, you know, you, yeah, like I, I agree with what you say. If you're that, feel that strongly about it, it, regardless of how comfortable, uncomfortable you feel, you may as well bring it up now at the beginning of the introduction before you become really uncomfortable and you're saddled with a child <laughs> or, you know, looking at other ways to deal with a pregnancy. And I think uh, with online dating being as, as you know, popular as, as it is now, it, there's often, uh, as I understand it, I, of course, I haven't been on those <laughs> sites in quite a long time, obviously, but my understanding is that a lot of those sites that are active now, I don't know the names of any of them anymore, they'll have a section that, where someone will check off whether they do or don't want kids. However, some people may be checking yes because they want to just see if it increases their prospects. And at the same time, there are people, and I've, had these, I've heard these stories, who said, well, I don't want kids, but I've had people, dates tell me that I'm really limiting my choices in part, potential partners by saying I don't want kids. And I, can, I actually disagree with, it, with that completely. I think, if anything, they're increasing their odds down the road of eventually finding somebody who does share that, uh, share that direction choice in life. It, it makes no sense to to even leave the door open to anybody who does like, okay, so you're, 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 you're increasing your potential date pool by not saying you don't want kids, but that date pool is going to be the same number of people otherwise who, who you'd be weeding out by, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get people who then want kids and then you're either just setting yourself and someone else up for absolute devastation or it's what a waste of time. Right, exactly. I mean, it's, it, it's, it can be viewed as a filter to filter out potential uh, partners and, you know, who may say, oh, they want, they want kids. Somebody who really, truly is passionate about wanting kids, they see on somebody's profile that they don't want kids. That really should be the sign of, okay, move on. Yeah. Swipe up, right, or whatever the hell it is they do. Well, and also, what is the rush to find somebody? I mean, everybody that I know, starting from high school on, who was in a hurry to find somebody and get married by 25 is because they wanted to have kids by a certain age to, you know, right. so that they can, so that they're not changing diapers into their 40s. Now, it's a flip side for some people. Some people push off parenthood until their 40s or 50s because, you know, health has allowed us to do so and lifestyle and that sort of thing. But you know, if you don't want to have kids, like what's then the rush to like, take your time, let it happen naturally. I mean, this kills the dating online dating business. If we all have that approach, I suppose, but you know, that's my thought. Like what's the rush if you're enjoying your life and you can have a few different relationships, you know, it doesn't have to be all at once, but you know, whatever, because you're not rushing towards something, which I see a lot of people doing. It's like get married. And then, cause we got to, we have this timeline. And of course, Biologically speaking, some people do. Some people really want to get to that next family Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. They want to be able to say they've accomplished something. Some really feel that, and then it's unfortunate because they feel that pressure. Part of it may be a genuine, okay, I'm, they might feel a sense that something, there's some sort of void in their life and they want to fill it. But some sense they want to be able to shut up, you know, Uncle Jack and, 
and, and Aunt Jane and say, you know, okay, I, I do have somebody now, and I may be having kids, so shut up, leave me alone, and go back and have another plate of food. Leave me alone. And that's a lifetime, a whole lifetime of, of let's call it responsibility. Yes. So that you could have that two minutes at the holiday dinner to say, okay, I did it. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. That's tragic. Yeah, I know. Is. I was just thinking that too. I'm like, oh man, just avoid, forget the family dinner, like go somewhere else. Yeah. Travel. Go to yeah. Saint <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I hear it's great. I can't wait. Six weeks. Nice. Well, <laughs> not real, not yet anyway, but yeah. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of people ask the child-free community, you know, who's planning on taking care of you when you get older? And, you know, things like that. And where I'm going with this question or bringing this topic up is, have you and your wife um, planned, like, do you guys think long-term? I'm not saying, like, you're sitting there worried. I'm just thinking, like, planning for um, retirement, planning for, like, Okay, am I asking, do you have a will? Do you have paperwork? Things like that. You know, as I think when people are younger and making this decision in your 20s, you're not thinking about later on down the road. Right. Um, most people in their 30s, 40s, 50s don't even think about that. They, they think about kind of when it's too late. So I'm just curious, have you guys, have the two of you um, done any long-term planning as far as, you know, your, your later years? They. What my response, I, I, that it's always entertaining to me when people would ask that question. And it, it's one that hasn't been asked in a while. Who's going to take care of you when you're older? I think that is one question that for, for myself is, is getting asked less. And I'm not sure why, or maybe I just haven't been paying attention to it. But my thinking is I want to be able to take care of myself for as long as possible. And to that effect, I worked very, uh, my spouse and I both worked very hard to live well and eat very healthy. Both of us, uh, you know, eat plant-based diet. We're very passionate. That's something we're very passionate about. And the idea is to do everything possible to take care of, be able to take care of yourself for as long as absolutely possible. And then, you know, when come down the road, if something happens, you know, we're fortunate, of course, living in, in Canada, that there are systems in place where we can access certain long, long-term care facilities and those facilities, the more of those facilities are going to be built in the well I hope anyway in the coming decades given the you know the aging population. But for touching on touching on wills and estates, I can't stress enough, and I hope viewers take note of this, that it's important to get that done now. I, I regret you may think that, you know, well I may not you know, it costs money. Absolutely it does. Good Quality legal advice costs money, but you do not want to have to deal with the potential consequences of dying and testing without a will. You just can't. My dad passed away suddenly in December of 2013, and now he had a will and had everything done up. But I spent the better part of the year of 2014 managing his estate on a full-time basis, and that it just took everything out of me. So it really hit home for me, okay, I need to get this done. Especially as someone with, um, you know, okay, I'm not, I don't have children, but what can I do? So, but we only took care of it just this, this year. So he passed away in 2013, it's 2019. I took too long doing it, and I'm you know, pleading with viewers to, to, do the, to don't waste time with it. 
get that stuff down. Even if it's the most basic thing, go and seek legal counsel and have that done so you have at least something in place and that the state, government, the province, whatever, can't you know make those decisions for you. So for, for us, where we don't have kids, but we, now we do now have a, year, uh, a niece who's a year and a half old. So we're able to, and we did, we put things in, I don't mind sharing, you know, the idea would be to leave some things to her. And if the, you know, if a brother-in-law has more kids, we're to have more kids, add them into it. I mean, it's really easy because at the end of the day, when we're gone, we're not going to care what happens with anything. See, there you go, Kristen. That's the motivation for you to get going. <laughs> I know. And, you know, Dan, what you just said is when my dad died um, just about last year, he didn't have a will. And mm-hmm. so doing certain things without a will is a lot more complicated. And even in, he has kids, so he had us to do it. But if it weren't us, it would be his siblings. And whoever whoever is left to take care of it, if you have any family at all, if you don't have a will, then you can't have an executor of the will. And if you don't have an executor of the will, you don't have someone people will talk to because, well, you're not the executor. And then to be the executor, you have to pay like some crazy legal fee just to get a little notary or whatever. I mean, it's, um, I mean, I, I, I was, um, I ended up being executor of my dad's estate. My brother lived out of the province. He was living in the Northwest Territories at the time. And even though he was named as a co-executor, he had to, um, it was easier for him. And he, he, he insisted on signing over his, uh, role as co as as executor in order for me to be able to easily do things since I lived in the jurisdiction. But of course, but I didn't. I never put one thing. I never did one thing without running it by him first. Of course, like you know, we did. We still ended up working together basically to do it all. Mm-hmm. But it, even you could have a will and you could have all this stuff. You could still end up in litigation. Um, you could still end up in litigation, and I almost did end up in litigation, unfortunately, due to other uh, other interests. Who, uh, felt they had an interest in, in his estate and you know I was you know unfortunate it was unfortunate you know it, it resulted in uh, ending of several relationships with members of his family so but it, 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 that aside it's, it's still important you know if you don't want kids to get something done and if, if you don't have somebody to leave something to figure out a cause that you're, that you're passionate about like for us could be like for us I'm using animal rights as an example um, you know, leave, find, find, a, find a nonprofit to leave something to. You know, even if someone were coming and selling all of your house and your possessions and they got the sale proceeds, whatever was left, you know, they're, figure out a way to make sure that you're looked after and your interests are looked after, especially. This is why I'm pet free, by the way. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Go. I understand. This is her. She said, she parks herself to the left of my monitor and will lay there for hours on end while I'm working. And that's how, since she was, you know, um, a kitten, that's how she's always done things. So I figured she was going to want, she was going to be in here potentially interrupting me, but I've gotten used to it. Well, in wrapping up this episode, Dan, is there anything you would like to to say to the child free community, uh, to men specifically who maybe are, you know, struggling with uh, potential relationships, going the, you know, all the things that we normally deal with, men or women. Don't, uh, don't afraid to be you. You don't have to put up uh, a facade. If you truly believe that you are going to live a life, you want to choose the life of not having children, don't feel you have to compromise that for anybody. It's, there's, 
you know, so many people have compromised on, I've heard stories and wrote, and wrote partly about one in the book that people have made the compromise, thought, okay, maybe one. And then they've lived, they've, you know, lived to regret it. That's not a compromise. There's no compromising. You either have Precisely. children or you don't. <laughs> Precisely. But I've heard, I've heard people say, well, I compromised instead of one. And it's like, well, that's, I agree with your completely question. That's not a compromise because then you're regretting, then people are regretting it. And I did have that example in the book, someone who did compromise. Well, I didn't specifically say she had compromised, but she initially was like, no, no. Okay. Maybe one. And it was a joint decision her and her ex-husband at the time had made. And she told me privately, she regretted it ever since. Well, that is all for this episode. Thank you very much, Dan, for joining us today. Uh, the link below will take you to his book. You can get it on Amazon. And we love hearing from you. Our email is childfreegirls at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok sometimes. Oh, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yes, subscribe to your YouTube channel. Are you a child-free man and have you ever lied saying you did want kids because you thought that was going to open up your dating pool? Or are you, what do you think about someone who on a dating site would lie or would open up their dating pool wider by not specifying that they don't want kids? Like, what do you, what do you think about that? We hope you enjoyed this episode presented by Child Free Media Limited. To stay current with child-free content like this, please visit childfreemedia.com and subscribe to the newsletter.